You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 19 of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera of Niners Nation, and with me is a man who I know was very busy yesterday, Brandon Lee Gouton of Bleeding Green Nation. What's going on, Brandon? Ah, Stats, my heart hurts, man. Doug Peterson, the only Super Bowl winning head coach in Philadelphia Eagles history, mind you, no longer with the team. It is an outcome that... I feared here on this show all season long. I've talked about it, um, him being the scapegoat, and sure enough, it happened. We were supposed to do an interview with Amy Trask of CBS Sports yesterday. All of a sudden, I get the message from you. Hey, can you maybe handle that on your own? I have to deal with all this stuff. And I didn't know what had happened at that point. So then I had to go Google what was going on, and I, I just thought, oh, man, we have lost Brandon for the rest of the day. Uh, we do. We did do the interview with Amy Trask. I was able to do it. We're grateful to her. So we're going to have that for you. Plus, we're going to power rank the three most surprising things coming out of the wild card round. We remind you to rate, review, and subscribe. But we have to talk about this Eagles thing, BLG. I am stunned. What was your reaction, and what do you think the general reaction was from Eagles fans? Yeah, um, so I think it wasn't surprising in the sense of on Sunday, you know, we had heard that Doug Peterson um, like basically wasn't a lock to return, even though we had previously heard from ESPN that it was looking like he was likely to be back as the Eagles head coach. I actually caught wind of something about this stats on like Friday night that like this could go down. And so I was like an alert this weekend for this to happen. So I was kind of what it didn't come out of left field for me, but um certainly it's just obviously such a big decision to make to move on from the guy again who's the only Super Bowl winning head coach in franchise history and to fire him and to really um with actions not so much in words Jeffrey Lurie came out and said this wasn't about what was deserved it was about you know what's doing what's best for the team moving forward um but in terms of action he like they the, the Eagles are making Doug Peterson accountable basically for this team's downfall and saying like he is the main problem and I just think that is so ridiculous based on everything I've been saying about this team throughout the season that look Doug Peterson deserves blame also if you looked at his plan that was leaked out there which by the way pretty pathetic to me that the team leaked that out there to kind of throw him under the bus and really kind of grease the skids in terms of uh fan reaction to get uh, to be on board with Doug being fired um now with that said you know I think it was a bad plan from Doug his his plan to fix the Eagles was basically like more internal promotions um and it's like, that's not really inspiring, Doug. Now, at the same time, the Eagles forced coaching hires on him last year. So how can I really totally blame him about wanting to do what he wants to do and not do what the organization is going to force on him 
But long uh, winded spiel here short is that Doug deserves blame. And I honestly think it is possible what is best for the organization and as well best for him is that he's no longer with the team. But again, my issue is making him the main problem with everything. That is misguided Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie here, who I guess I probably haven't been on enough. And maybe collectively Eagle fans haven't been on enough because he is also very culpable in this team's mess because he is, by all indications, meddling way too much. Uh, those guys are still very big problems here. And I just think it's very naive to think that Doug is gone and everything is fixed. Right. That was my biggest issue. If you're keeping Howie... And now it seems like you're keeping Wentz because now we're hearing that maybe the relationship with the team is fixable because Doug is gone. You are putting the blame for everything squarely on Doug Peterson's shoulders. That doesn't make any sense to me, given what you've said on this show multiple times about the state of the roster and the cost of these guys and how basically they can't really make a ton of changes next year just based on the structure of everything. So to put it all on the one coach that won a Super Bowl without the quarterback that's causing all these problems seems crazy to me. There's just a lack of respect, really. Uh, you know, again, this is a guy, he won a Super Bowl and then he can't even pick his own staff. And he gets all the blame for this team's decisions that are made above him, like decisions that he doesn't even have power in. So it's it's just frustrating to see, really. Um, it, it's a total lack of respect. And I think, look, I think Doug can go somewhere else and be successful. And by all accounts, we're hearing that he actually is, quote, at peace with being fired, not being the coach anymore. And that <laughs> makes sense, right? Like if he's going to be the guy who's always like the fall guy, basically, and he's going to take all the heat disproportionately so, then, you know, it probably is best that he's not here anymore, um, both for him and the organization. Um, it's it's just a shame it had to come to this, and it's a shame there's no accountability elsewhere. I think that's the main thing people might be missing in terms of, like, I'm not saying Doug Peterson shouldn't have been fired. I actually wanted Doug Peterson to be fired, but I also wanted Howie Roseman to be fired. I wanted to be cleaning house, start fresh. This was such an obvious point for them to do that, Stats. It's like, right now, it's an inflection point. It's like they need to pivot from thinking they can contend to building this thing back up for the long term. And what's the best way to do that? Maybe clean house and get a, f a fresh slate here instead of just trying to do more half measures, which the Eagles always love to do. And that's what they are going to be doing once again. And this is something that I bring up with Amy Trask in the interview. One of the names I'm hearing that they might go after is Lincoln Riley. So now let me get this straight. You're going to hire, you're going to get rid of Doug Peterson to fix the relationship with Carson Wentz, but then you're going to hire Lincoln Riley, who coached Jalen Hurts in college. Do you think that's going to make things better? And by the way, Howie's going to be the GM there. And if they struggle again next year, then you're going to fire the GM and bring in another GM who then doesn't get to pick his coach. Like, I don't understand the way out of this other than firing everybody eventually and having to start over from scratch at some point in the future. Yeah, I don't think Howie is going to be fired next year's stats or maybe ever. Honestly, like like at this rate, I don't know what he can do that would get him fired. Like it seems like he's like invincible. He's invulnerable. Like there's nothing that he can do where he's held accountable. Like it's it's crazy and it's part of the reason why being an Eagles fan is so frustrating right now because it's like there is that lack of accountability and it almost feels pointless. It's like what's what am I rooting for? I've talked about this on BGN Radio with, with Jimmy Kemsky, who we had on earlier this year, where it's like, what is the point of being an Eagles fan right now? Other than just because, like, you've been one your whole life, so you root for them. Like, what are you actually rooting for? Like, what what do you feel good about? Like, there's no young talent here. 
quarterback situation, there isn't a definitive answer. Um, the head coach that was one of the most likable things about this team probably is now gone. Like it's just, it's so frustrating to be in this spot. As far as Lincoln Riley goes, I think it is really interesting that, you know, you bring that up that the Jalen Hurts dynamic of it all. I don't know for sure that like Doug Peterson being, I don't think here's what I'll say stats. I don't think the Eagles made a decision between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Like, I don't think it was that simple. That wasn't the factor and why Doug is no longer here. may have been a factor. I think it's relevant. I don't think it was the determining factor. So I don't know 100% that the Eagles are like committed to Carson Wentz for the foreseeable future. I mean, contract-wise they are, but I don't, and like organizationally, I don't think they're like 100% still all in on him. So it will be interesting to see, you know, the, the Lincoln Riley of it all. But I think when you're talking about head coaching candidates here for the Eagles, it's not an attractive job stats. We ranked all the, the head coaching opportunities last week. I would have the Eagles at like fifth at best. And honestly, I would have them last. But like if I'm going optimistic on it, like who are you really putting them above? Um, I want to get your answer to that. But the last thing I'll say is that I think who they hire is really kind of just depends on Howie Roseman since he's the guy who has the power here. And apparently he has a good relationship with Lincoln Riley. So that's absolutely relevant. They've already apparently reached out to him reportedly. Um, Howie Roseman also shares an agent with Brian Dable, the Bills offensive coordinator. So I think that's a connection to watch. And then you look at maybe if the Eagles can't bring a candidate in because their job is so unattractive, uh, then maybe they're just going to promote Deuce Daly from within and try to hire a play calling offensive coordinator. Um, So I think that's what they're looking at. Man, that is not encouraging. Lincoln Riley would be encouraging, but then, like I said, you got to deal with the quarterback situation. But just promoting Deuce Staley, like, isn't that part of the reason why you wanted to get rid of Doug because he was going to do internal staff promotions? Like, I don't know. You're right. I I don't know. I I think I would put it maybe last. You're right. Like, it is not super attractive right now in terms of the roster and the young pieces that you already have there. It's not very high up on the list. That is for sure. And I want to point out before we get to the interview with Amy Trask, there is a statue outside of Lincoln Financial Field that was put up when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And three years after that statue was erected, both the quarterback and the coach are no longer with the team. That is incredible. All right. So you've heard what we think. Now let's talk to Amy Trask of CBS Sports. I got a chance to sit down with her yesterday. We're going to go over the Peterson firing and the situation in Houston, which is a complete and utter disaster. So I wanted to get her take. So here is Amy Trask of CBS Sports. I am extremely delighted to be joined by a very special guest today. Amy Trask, CBS Sports analyst, former CEO of the Raiders, all around bad generally. It's an extreme pleasure to have you on, Amy. Thank you very much for the time. Well, it is my pleasure to join you. That was a magnificent introduction. Thank you very, very much. And thanks for having me on. You are quite welcome. And the first thing I have to ask you, because you must have superpowers, because you somehow managed to be on Twitter and make it civil somehow. How did you do this? I have long, long, long been passionate about civil discourse, about disagreeing agreeably. That's something that's extremely important to me. And by the way, the world would be a lot better if we could all embrace civil discourse. Fair enough. We want to disagree. Let's disagree. But there's no need to disagree in a nasty, obnoxious, or mean manner. So from the time I joined Twitter, that was something I shared, which was go ahead, disagree, 
but let's do so agreeably. And I will tell you that in the years I've been on Twitter, and it hasn't been all that many as compared to other people, I can count on less than two hands, I think, the number of times someone has been really, really just mean. And when I get something like that, I will respond and I will say, you know what, fair enough, you disagree with me, but there's no need for you to express your disagreement in such a mean manner to be mean. And, you know, I probably sound like a five-year-old saying, don't be mean to me. But I will tell you that in all but one or two instances, the person has responded and said, you know what, you're right. By the way, if you're listening to me, politicians, you might want to think about that. From your lips to God's ears, Amy, please. (laughs) We could all use some of that. But since we are talking disagreements, let's get right to it because it looks like Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles had a disagreement because they fired Peterson on Monday, despite a report going into week 17 that he was going to be safe. Apparently, Jeffrey Lurie was not pleased with some of the proposed staff changes that Doug Peterson wanted to make. First question for you is just what is your reaction after hearing this news? That my hope is, or my thought, because I don't have an interest in it. I mean, I'm interested in it, but I don't have a, um, you know, a role or a a personal interest in it other than intellectually and as someone that follows football and yaks about football on television um, that I hope that Jeff asked a question of himself before making his decision and that he came up with an answer which was at a minimum as good as the status quo and one would hope for Eagles fans sakes better than the status quo and that question is and do what I mean look it wasn't that many years ago I think 2017 that Doug led the team to a Super Bowl and then was in the playoffs in 18 and 19. And yeah, rough year this year, not only on the field, but with issues off the field and involving Carson Wentz and his happiness or unhappiness and what went on in the last game and whether that was Doug's decision or handed to him by someone else. So there were off-field issues as well. But before you let a coach go, particularly one who's had some success, you got to ask and do what? Presumably, Jeff did that. So if you were the Eagles now, you need a head coach. Where do you think they can look? Because I, I'm hearing Lincoln Riley, which might be interesting, but then you run into this whole problem with Carson Wentz because Lincoln Riley had Jalen Hurts, but you're, you're supposedly keeping Carson Wentz. So I feel like maybe that isn't the best way to go. I'm not sure where I would look if I were the Eagles. Well, I think if you're thinking about Lincoln at all, you have to have a very open candid dialogue about the issue you just raised. Is this going to be an issue? What is your position on this? How are you going to communicate to and with Carson? You know, if you come here, Carson's on our roster. So at a minimum, that has to be on the table, so to speak, and you have to be comfortable with the answer. Um, I think that he should, I think they should look at any number of options. Eric Bieniemy comes to mind immediately because I consider Andy Reid Um, one of the best, best, best coaches in the league. And clearly Andy has a terrific relationship with the Eagles and a history there. And Andy has come out and said, Eric Bieniemy is the guy that you want. You want him on the field coaching. You want him off the field coaching the organization. In other words, he's more than just an on-field X's and O's coach. He's a good leader. And if Andy Reid is saying that about Eric, as Andy has been saying passionately for some time, that should resonate with the Eagles. Okay, I want to use Eric Bieniemy as the bridge to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is the situation with the Houston Texans, because Deshaun Watson wanted the Houston Texans 
to talk to Eric Bieniemy. Patrick Mahomes apparently talked to Deshaun Watson and gave him some really good info. And Watson took that info to the team and said, hey, I want you guys to talk to Eric Bieniemy." And seemingly the only team with a head coaching vacancy that has not interviewed Eric Bieniemy or doesn't want to is the Houston Texans. What is going on with that? <laughs> well, my immediate thought when you say what is going on with that, and I recognize that some of your podcast fans and your fans in general are going to be too young to know this reference, but in the old I Love Lucy show, and by the way, I'm too young to have seen it when it was out originally. <laughs> I watched reruns, so I just want to get that on the table. But anytime Lucy did something just utterly crazy, Ricky Ricardo put his hands around his face and he said, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> and I think of that meme every time someone raises what's going on with the Texans. If you ask someone for input, you should be sincere when you're asking and you should listen to that input. My understanding is Deshaun didn't say hire Eric. Deshaun said, talk to Eric, or I request that you talk to Eric, or I'd like you to talk to Eric. What the heck would have been wrong with them talking to Eric? By the way, even if Deshaun hadn't suggested that, there's umpteen reasons to talk to Eric. But when your quarterback, the man you asked to give you input, gives you input, and you then are the only team not to, that's crazy. I don't understand it. If there was one player on the entire Texans roster that you would go out of your way not to alienate, you would think it would be your 25-year-old <laughs> quarterback, and they seem to be doing everything they can to make the situation worse. He's not fielding their calls. He's, quote-unquote, on vacation. If you were in the Houston Texans front office, Amy, how do you fix this? Well, I know what I would do if I were Nick Casario. I would find a way to contact Deshaun personally, privately, not public, not publicly. I wouldn't make it public. I wouldn't let anyone know. I would simply find through a connection um, of someone who knows and has Deshaun's ear and who Deshaun trusts, you know, let him know I'd really like to talk and put in a word and, you know, find a way to bridge that gap and then have a conversation with Deshaun. Nick to Deshaun, involve no one else and try to do what you can to repair that relationship. Don't publicize it. Don't put it on social media. Don't talk to them, any media about it. Just have a conversation, adult to adult, and see what can be done. And I think that's the first step. So Deshaun picks up the phone and says, yeah, what do you want? And you say what if you're <laughs> Nick Casario? Well, look, by the way, haven't we all had those conversations in our lives where we want to talk to someone about something and they're like, yeah, what, huh? Or, you know, <laughs> new phone, who dis? Nice. Um, you know, I do that, you know, a lot. So just so you know, um, you know, I don't know Nick to say how he should start that conversation, mm -hmm. but I think he should just sort of look, there's elephants in the room or whatever. I'm using a lot of expressions now, you know, elephants in the room. I think it's elephants. It's something in the room. There's a lot going on in the media. And I think the first thing you say is Deshaun, I just, I want to have a conversation with you. Let's put aside everything that's been written and talked about about you and your unhappiness. I want to hear it from you directly. And please don't presume anything about me. I'm sure you've read that I had a relationship with Jack when we were both in New England. Put aside what's been written about me. I'm putting aside what's written about you. Let's have a conversation man to man where we each speak for ourselves rather than letting others speak for us. Okay, that's pretty good. Not going to lie. I did not I didn't know what you were going to say, but that at least sounds like a starting point where you could sort of patch things up. Because if I'm Casario too, I say, look, I, 
I didn't make you any promises. I wasn't part of the promises that were made to you, but I can promise you now going forward, as long as I'm here, you know, X, Y, Z, you'll be a part of things, yada, yada. Well, and the other thing I think you should emphasize is this conversation is between you and me. I'm not going, you know, I'm, I'm not reporting this to anyone in the press. It's not going to be leaked. It's not going to be dribbled out. I'm not sharing it with anyone in the organization. Let's just have a conversation and take it from here because you're going to have to establish some trust with Deshaun. It seems pretty apparent. He doesn't have that relationship with others in the building. So now let's say you have that conversation and Deshaun says, look, I appreciate everything you're trying to do, but I got to get out of here. I'm just tired of it. It can't be fixed. I want out. Now, what do you do if you're Nick Casario? Absolute honesty in all regards, which I think, you know, there's that saying honesty is the best policy. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that in any instance. But the answer is, you know what, Deshaun, I don't know that that's feasible. I don't know that we can do that. There's cap considerations, cash considerations, the um, what we would receive in compensation. We want to build this team. Oh, and by the way, we are going to factor in what's best for us. There's no secret about that. I'm going to share with you that my responsibility as a general manager of this team is to do what's best for the team. Now, I need to factor in what your attitude's going to be like with, you know, are you here? Like if we work this out, are you really here? Are you invested? Are you not? But I've got to factor in what I could get in compensation, whether I think I can replace you. And I really don't think I can replace you on a moment's notice, let alone maybe for a long time. And what about cap? I mean, be honest with him and let him know why it would be a challenge and explain, I might not be able to do that, or I might not be willing to do that. How do we fix this? I tend to believe that when there's problems in a relationship, many people respond very, very well to honest exchanges of thoughts. See, that's what I would say if I was Deshaun and I really wanted out. I would say, well, that's great. You do what you got to do, but I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm not showing up to voluntary workouts. Anything voluntary, just consider me gone. I'm not, I'm unavailable those days. I'm coming in late. I'm leaving early. I'll do everything my contract requires and nothing else. Well, I would certainly give him credit for being honest. If that's his plan, (laughs) tell him your plan. Um, You know, I always am hopeful that these things can be resolved. I think in general, they can. I don't know if this will be resolved. Look, I looked, I worked for the owner of a team for almost 30 years who didn't resolve some disputes that he had with players, notwithstanding that I was constantly imploring him to do so with, you know, one or two, really one notable instance, you know, fix this, pick up the phone, have a conversation. So, and there were instances in which Al did just that. There were players with whom he had issues where they did have conversations and work it out, obviously, and people know that of which I'm speaking. That wasn't always the case. And I remain sad that he wasn't able to repair a relationship before he died. But there were a lot of relationships he did repair by having conversations. So I know it can be done. How important is it for an owner to have that one voice like you were to Al, who can sort of cut through a lot of the noise and, and maybe some of the emotions that that person may be feeling to really help advise them in a situation? Well, I think it's important that all of us, whether the owner of a team, the owner of any business, not only the owner, but the person in charge of running a team or any business, have people around him or her who are willing to say things that that person might not want to hear. In other words, you're not doing a business for which you work any good if all you do is say, yes, 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 agree, agree, agree. That's an echo chamber. 
And I think the best businesses are the ones, the best employers are ones who welcome disagreement. And I will tell you the biggest misconception about Al, in my view, is that, you know, people who say he wouldn't tolerate disagreement, he wouldn't tolerate those who disagreed with him. If that were the case, I would have been fired roughly two weeks Mm -hmm. into my job when I told him he was wrong. And we had a a loud, loud argument, loud to the point where people gathered in the hallway. One woman brought out some cartons uh, because she thought I'd for surely sure have to pack my things. (laughs) And you know what? After about 20 minutes or so, maybe more of yelling at one another, he looked at me and said, oh, I got it. I got it. And then we went on to have an almost 30-year working relationship where I disagreed with him more than I agreed with him. Reg- you know, it was just regular disagreement. And I think that's important in any environment. I totally agree. Usually I'm the one telling people they're wrong and they're the ones screaming back at me. But, you know, look, you, you play the role you're, don't, you're born to play. That's all I could say. Um, I have a couple more questions on this because I am praying to every God known to man that my 49ers somehow wind up with Deshaun Watson. So now if you were, oh, please, please, please let it happen. But now (laughs) if I were, or you were John Lynch or any of these GMs that obviously would be interested in Deshaun, you gotta be placing a call to the Texans right now, right? Like what are you doing right now to try to get him on your team? Well, number one, I'm not doing anything that leaks out publicly because I wanna do this very quietly. And look, people in the league do this all the time. They pick up the phone. They call someone they know at another team. They ask what's going on. They let it be known that they're interested. But I don't know exactly what they can do right now until the Texans make up their mind. You know, if the Texans are absolutely, positively, unwaveringly committed to keeping him, there might not be anything that anyone can do to make your dream come true. I'm very sorry to break that news to you. But... You know, perhaps they're willing to offer something which changes the Texans' outlook. Question is, what are you willing, what's your trade-off? It's a cost-benefit analysis. What are you willing to pay in cost in terms of existing players, in terms of draft compensation that justifies the benefit? Obviously, you're going to say, give them the house, you know, push all your cards to the middle of the table, go. Um, I don't know how much the 49ers would be willing to give, but I do agree with you. They do need some work at the quarterback position. Oh my God. Don't get me started. If this were my 49ers podcast, we, we could t- spend hours talking about the problems for the 49ers at the quarterback position. Um, I'm amazed at the Texans that things have gotten this bad with the Texans. I I've said to 49ers fans right now, I'm in the season of hope. Like my pain is over. The regular season is over. The 49ers are done. Now it's all about improving the team, the draft free agency. But if you're a Texans fan right now, you have no first round pick. You have no second round pick. Your quarterback had an amazing year and the team still really struggled. You're starting over with the GM. You're starting over with the head coach. Your quarterback is angry. There is no hope right now if you're a Texan fan. First of all, there's always hope. But let's set that aside for one minute. I think you just made every Texans fan listening to this cry. I think you (laughs) just, I think they're all crying now. Look, there's always hope teams can turn things around very, very quickly. I don't mean to suggest there aren't serious, serious issues to be fixed within that organization. I do think there are issues to be fixed. And I think it goes all the way to the very, very top. And I'll explain why in one second. Um, But there's always hope in the league. Things, the league is designed so that things can be turned around if the right people are making the right decisions at the right time. So, you know, don't, don't cry too much, Texans fans, even though he just broke your heart. There is hope. But, you know, all fun aside, 
people will, are quick to point to a general manager who did things wrong or a team president or a coach. Um, ultimately, ownership has final, ultimate, full authority. So, you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying that when you own a business, a sports team or otherwise, if you own the business, if you have full and total ownership control, you have ultimate authority and you have ultimate responsibility. And even if you delegate that authority or delegate that responsibility to someone else, you can always take back that delegation, which means you have ultimate authority and ultimate responsibility. And so this has to go back to ownership and, and it needs to start there with some improvement as the way things are handled. Whoever they hire as a head coach, like, good luck. You've got your work cut out for you because that is not a situation that I would want to be in. Um, just sort of zooming out a little bit here to the coaching search in general. There are a ton of interviews going on. We hear every day about a new coach interviewing with a new team. Can you share, shed some light on just what those interviews are like? Because I, I think we think of like a regular sort of job interview that we go on, but I don't know. Are they really like that? What is it like inside that room? Well, I will share that with you in one moment, but I do want to reference your point about that, you know, the point you just made about the Texans opening and maybe not a particularly attractive one. I understand what you're saying. I agree with much of what you're saying, but I will note there are only 32 of these jobs. So if you look at it from a supply demand standpoint, demand being the number of people that want the jobs, supply being the number that are open at any given time, demand is always going to dwarf supply. So even though some are far more attractive than others, there are people who want every one of these. As to your question about how the interviews go, different for every one of the 32 teams. I worked for a team owner who was a football man in the Hall of Fame as a football man. So when Al conducted interviews, most of the time was spent with the candidate at a whiteboard. Giant whiteboard in the room. Al would sit at a conference table. The candidate would sit at the table. Al would ask him to go to the whiteboard. And it would be a heavily, heavily X's and O's oriented interview. There's other team owners that are going to talk about different issues, business issues, um, not X's and O's issues, but Al approached his interviewing from an X's and O's standpoint. What are you going to do in this stance, in this instance? What are your views on, on this defensive scheme? What's your offensive theory? It was X's and O's. Now, in my almost 30 years with the team, Al only included me in one coaching search. One time in almost 30 years. And by the way, I think we know he hired a lot of coaches. Um, <laughs> one of those times he involved me and he allowed me to meet all the candidates and um, I recommended one and he didn't hire him. So there you go. I may not be your girl to have this conversation. Well, now I have to know, who did you recommend? I recommended that he hire Bill Belichick. <laughs> he did not hire Bill. He went on to hire John Gruden, who also very good coach, did a very good job with the team. I'm not suggesting otherwise, but I recommended Bill. And then Bill went on to have the tremendous success that we've seen him have. And I used to smile ear to ear when Al would periodically say to me, kid, you know how to pick a coach. <laughs> and I thought that story that I recommended Bill to Al would forever just be kept quiet as between Al and I. And one day at a press conference, he said publicly, he said, Amy told me back, you know, X number of years ago, hire Bill Belichick. And it really touched me that he did that because he didn't have to share that publicly but he did, and I, th I thanked him for it then, and I still thank him for that. People have this image of Al as the, he wasn't the guy that we saw in the last portion of his life. I don't think people understand the towering figure that Al Davis was in NFL history. 
he was not the person we saw riding around in the golf cart all the time. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And, you know, so many people say to me, wow, you know, Amy, in that last number of years, Al did not leave the team best position for the future. He didn't make good long-term decisions. And my response to them when they say that is, when you know that your long-term is not long-term, when you are confronting your own mortality, you're going to make different decisions than if you believe you have a long-term. And so people who've criticized what he did in those very last waning years, when I say to them, think about this, if you knew you had such a limited time remaining, would you make the same decisions as if you didn't know that? And they stop and think about it and note that that's a good point. Al was doing everything he could because he knew his time was limited and it didn't work out in those last years. But again, he didn't have the pleasure of um, a long-term view. And, you know, as to the man he was, I owe my career to him. This is a man who hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality, which has no bearing on whether one can do a job. And in my case, he hired me back in the early part of the mid 80s when such things weren't even a topic on the radar screen. You know, hiring women into the NFL wasn't discussed back then. So um, thank you for raising that. He did things that whether you're a Raider fan or a Raider hater, whether you loved Al or didn't like him at all. Um, if we're being intellectually honest, we can recognize he was well ahead of people in that regard. One more question for you. I know that Al liked to interview a ton of people just to sort of get the lay of the land of what people outside of the organization thought about his team. Do you know if he had like one question that he would ask every candidate to get their reaction from? Well, that's a great question from you. Um, he asked them all a lot of things, and you're absolutely right. I'm smiling ear to ear as you say that because he wanted to get their input on what our flaws were, what our holes were, what we needed to do, what they thought about our team. He also wanted to pick their brains. You know, he was calling in for interviews, coaches that he thought were very good. So he used it as an opportunity to grow and to learn as well. It was um, part of the thought process. I don't know that I can remember any specific question. I promise to let you know if I do, but none is springing to mind right now. Well, Amy, I thank you so much for the time. I've wanted to interview you for a very long time, so I really appreciate you coming on. CBS Sports Analyst, former CEO of the Raiders. You can see her everywhere the NFL has talked about, basically. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, I want to share this with you as sincerely and strongly and as passionately as can be. This has not, it was not only my pleasure going in to this interview, but it was my pleasure throughout. And now it was just fantastic to talk to you. You are extremely good at what you do and you made this all kinds of fun. Well, that, that's my year. Thank you very much. Amy. <laughs> Thanks again to Amy Trask. We really appreciate the time and BLG. I mean, the situation in Houston, I loved what she said about how to fix it. Cause I think that that, was really that just blew me away like I didn't think there was any way to come back from it and seemingly there is do you think that the situation ultimately ends up with Deshaun working it out or what do you think happens uh I get concerned uh about this kind of stuff when this stuff comes out in terms of like I think there's a lot of especially I'm saying concern from the point of a Texans fan like if I'm a Texans fan I see this kind of thing and I think it's very easy at first to be like oh, there's no way they're going to trade Deshaun, blah, blah, Like It's very easy to be in denial in that, that first phase of reacting to the news. Because I've experienced this, you know, in, over the course of things with the Eagles. Like I remember Deshaun Jackson uh, back in 2014. It seemed, he was coming off a career year in 2013. It seemed crazy that the Eagles would cut him. Now, I'm not saying, you know, this situation is similar, 
but like it's that it's similar in the sense of like there's a proposal that something so outlandish could happen and you're like nope no way that's not going to happen but when you when you start to hear things like that uh, and obviously I think there's even more evidence here that it could like you can't dismiss it you can't just say it's definitely not going to happen like there's a danger of it happening now again how they proceed and if the Texans take the right steps it seems like it could be salvageable to me I'm not saying he's definitely out but you know I would be concerned here and I think it's a big problem for the Texans not only because you know I mean like what do they do if they don't have Deshaun Watson because they don't we know they don't have the draft picks they also don't have a head coach right now and how do you even hire a head coach right now when he is potentially worried about Deshaun Watson wanting out, maybe the head coach thinks he can kind of fix things and make him stay, but you know, it's a, it's a very tenuous situation there. Yeah. I mean, we had them at the bottom of our power rankings. The only reason they weren't dead last is because of Deshaun Watson. So if he's not there, I mean, I guess you would end up with the bounty of picks, which I'm sure they will get if they were to move him. So I guess that helps a little but, I mean, the odds that you're going to get a quarterback back as good as the one you're giving up are pretty much slim to none there. So it's it's not ideal for the Houston Texans. All right, let's take a break, and then we'll get to our – we have ranked the three most surprising things coming out of Wild Card Weekend. So we'll do that. Three for BLG and three for me after the break. Welcome back to the SB Nation NFL Show. This is the off-day debrief. And BLG, we wanted to rank the three most surprising things coming out of Wild Card Weekend. We have each done three. I will let you lead it off. What is number three for you? Jalen Ramsey gets all the hype, you know, for the or a lot of hype, I should say, for the Rams defense being, you know, the success that it is. Not the only person, you know, Brandon Staley, Aaron Donald as well. But how about Darius Williams, man? I mean, that interception, Russell Wilson, it was the first screen pass picked off all season long stats. So, by nature, I mean, by definition alone, that's entirely unexpected. Who could have expected that would happen? Um, that's just a crazy play. Like, I don't even think you can – can you even fault – you can't fault Russell Wilson on that throw, right? It's like that's the throw that's there to be made on a screen pass, and the cornerback just played it, like, amazingly, like, as, as perfectly as he could have played it, and obviously took it back for six and didn't get caught by DK Met- Metcalf in the rundown, so that's important too. But uh, And that was huge. Because, I mean, the Rams, you know, they, they, they would have won, what, 23-20 if they didn't have that play. But that was such a big, like, tone-setting play, um, and, and it was a really big deal. So Darius Williams, uh, got to show him some respect. Yeah, that whole Rams defense was just tormenting Russell Wilson. We've seen it multiple times in the regular season. He has trouble with the Rams. And I said on the look ahead with RJ Ochoa, I thought this was the worst possible matchup for the Seahawks in the first round just because of all the trouble they've had with that defense. And you're right. The interception was a huge tone setter for the game. Uh, you know, to intercept a screen pass is basically like, we are not going to let you do literally anything, not even the easy plays, like no layups for you. And Russell did not have a good game the rest of the game. He was especially, I mean, I think he only had like eight completions by the third quarter. Like it was incredible what was happening there. And credit to the Rams defense and, and credit to Brandon Staley, who you said, who could be a head coach. Also, the risk reward in that is huge. You know what I mean? Like if you if you miss time that by a little bit, I mean that's that could be a touchdown the other way. Like so, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. That is an excellent point by you. And so now the Rams go to round two. We don't even know who their quarterback is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The defense is so good that well, I mean it does matter, but I mean it doesn't matter in the sense of they have a chance to win at the very least because that defense is so good and it's strange because it's not the identity from the Rams we're used to seeing when they're all about offense in the past, but uh but yeah, that defense is legit. 
Congrats to the Rams. The number three most surprising thing coming out of wildcard weekend for me is the Colts actually keeping things competitive with the Bills. Like, do we realize how hot Buffalo was? They were averaging more than 40 points a game in their last five games. They were absolutely rolling. Josh Allen is on fire. And I've said it before. The Colts' biggest star on offense is a guard. And yet, somehow, they were able to keep it competitive with Buffalo. I mean, they had the ball. They were driving down the field at the end of the game, you know, very much in it. And refs made a hideous call. But nonetheless, I really was impressed by the Colts. And I think they're in a spot now, BLG, where they are they're shopping at Ikea. And what I mean by that is like when you move into a place, right, you bring the essentials with you. Usually there's like a stove and a refrigerator that are already there and you bring the most important things. And then you make that trip to Ikea to get, you know, a couple of nice things to really like make it your own. You need the off test. You need the the plates, you know, the nice fancy things. I think that's where the Colts are. They get another wide receiver. They obviously need a quarterback they got to figure that out because Philip Rivers is not going to play there forever if he comes back next year. But like they are very close to having their team that they're going to go at a Super Bowl with for the next like two to three years. Stats, I feel like RJ Ochoa from the look ahead, your your other co-host on this NFL, SB Nation NFL show, uh, is rubbing off on you with the analogies. I mean, that's, that's something out of his playbook there. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, the Colts are making me nervous there, Stats, because, you know, I've said since like late December here, like the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, like definitively. So I was like, man, are the Bills really going to make me look bad here and uh, and blow this thing? But I think the Colts played a great game. I mean, um, like, yeah, the score is obviously very close, but they could have feasibly won that game. I, I think Frank Reich is getting a little bit too much criticism in terms of like he, he was aggressive and that was smart. Now, I think you can say some of the play calls he picked in those aggressive spots weren't the best. The toss, uh, you know, on, on, on the fourth and gold down there, uh, didn't love that. So I didn't love the you know, like the play calling, but but the the thought behind it was right. And uh, yeah, so I, I think the Colts are definitely going to be. They're here to stay. They're not going anywhere, and and, and obviously, really depends on what they do at quarterback, and that's a big issue because Philip Rivers will be forty next season. He's going to have off season uh, toe surgery. Terry Bradshaw, I believe, I don't know if he caught this during the game. I think it was during halftime. He said that he heard Rivers wants to keep playing, but he didn't seem so sure it is going to be an indie still. So, uh, big decision for them to make. I didn't catch that. Was that before or after Terry said that Howie and Michael Strahan used steroids? <laughs> uh, I guess after. <laughs> that was an awkward moment. Did you catch that? I didn't catch that. It was, yeah. It was not good by Terry. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> what is your number two most surprising thing from Wildcard Weekend? Number two most surprising thing is kind of a chalk pick, but I mean, the Browns winning a playoff game for the first time since January 1st, 1995. That's a it's a pretty surprising. I mean, especially considering how it seemed like the Browns, like everyone was behind them going into uh wildcard weekend, but then the COVID, you know, impact hit. They're not they don't have their head coach. They they they're missing um some starting offensive linemen. Um like it's it's a dire situation. Everyone I think you guys said it on the look ahead, you and RJ were talking about like the Browns finally get here and then they like they can't even get like good luck like they have bad luck so uh, but didn't matter I mean they put a beat down on the Steelers now obviously the Steelers you know kind of put more of a fight into the game they tried to claw back into the game um, but I mean they, they jumped out what to that 28-0 lead and I mean that just had to feel awesome as a Browns fan to, to see 
especially, you know, the Juju Smith-Schuster of it all, like, you know, <laughs> saying the Browns is Browns, and and for Cleveland to just finally get that comeuppance, it's been long awaited, it finally happened, uh, they did it without a head coach, hats off to the Browns for the most surprising result, one of the second most surprising result of the week. And this has got to be really good for Baker Mayfield, it has to feel good. Because I said going into the game in week 17, like, hey, I don't care what's happening with your team, Baker. You have to win this game if you're going to be the guy that they expect you to be when they drafted you. And he did. And then to go into this week, like you said, with all that adversity, the the best quarterbacks overcome that and elevate the team around them and make that stuff irrelevant with their play. And Baker absolutely did that. And the thing that's most encouraging, I think, is that it wasn't just like, oh, the Browns got up 28 points and then held on for dear life till the end of the game. Pittsburgh started to come back, and every time they did, the Browns responded with big plays and touchdown drives. And to me, that's the most encouraging thing when I see that from Baker Mayfield. Totally agree. And I just feel like the way you watch – like the way you feel after watching that Browns game is like they have a chance to go into Kansas City and win that game. Uh, I'm not saying it's a, like a lock to happen or anything, but they they have a fighting chance. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't say it's impossible. Like I wouldn't say it's a lock that the Chiefs are going to win this week. Um, you know, obviously still very formidable and coming off the bye and and all of that. But the Browns are like a, they're a serious playoff team here. Like you, you can't. They're not just like a oh it's kind of cute they made the playoffs. Maybe they can win a playoff game and that's it. Like. They have a ceiling here, and it's beyond just one playoff win. Yeah, and i that's a really good point because I was worried that maybe Cleveland was like going to exhale, right? And just, okay, we made the playoffs. And sort of that was their goal for the year. Well, they came out, and I mean, they were ready to go from jump. They were more physical. They looked more up for the game. They were not satisfied with just making the playoffs. And I agree. I think that game's going to be a lot of fun. You got Baker going up against Mahomes. Everybody knows by now the incredible, ridiculous game they played in college where I think Patrick Mahomes threw for like 700 yards or some insane thing like that. Like, I think it's going to be a fun game. You got two characters at quarterback. Kareem Hunt's facing his old team, too. There's a lot of juice going into that game. What's your number two stats? The second biggest or most surprising thing for me coming out of Wild Card Weekend is just The way that Derrick Henry and the Titans rushing game were just absolutely shut down by the Baltimore Ravens. It was bad. 18 carries for 40 yards. That's 2.2 yards per carry. And this is Derrick Henry we're talking about. This is not, you know, some scrub running back. This is the absolute monster of the league. The Titans only had one rushing first down in the entire game. And that came on the final drive on a quarterback sneak by Ryan Tannehill. Like, this was utter and complete domination by the Ravens defense, who got worked by Derrick Henry when they played earlier in the year. Yeah, not many people stop Derrick Henry stats. But the Ravens, I felt good about them going into the playoffs, more so about the offense, you know, coming alive. And obviously that wasn't like the uh, what really, you know, did it for them in this game um that you know they put up 20 points and and seven of those were on Lamar Jackson's uh, incredible touchdown run there which you know he created it wasn't like their offense firing in all cylinders but uh yeah I mean I think um we've seen the rate like when the offense was struggling for the Ravens earlier this year the defense was there for them and that's why they were able to win games early on in the year and it's kind of come back here I know that Baltimore put a lot of resources into trying to improve the run I think after they saw how last season ended so this was a 
you know, concerted effort by them to kind of reprove in that regard. And it, and it paid off. And uh, yeah, I think the Ravens, like I said, it going into the playoffs, they're one of the most dangerous teams. I still feel that way, even though the offense, you know, again, wasn't as good as it should have been really against a, like a, a suspect Titans defense. Um, I mean, if that defense is going to be strong and the offense can kind of figure things out here, I mean, that's their formula. And it wasn't like game script shut down Derrick Henry. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, the Titans got down big early, so they had to throw. And No, no, no. The game was close. They actually had a 10-point lead at one point, so you would think that that would result in him getting the ball more. That wasn't the case, and you you said it. With Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' offense can kind of be sputtering along, trying to figure it out, and then boom, 48-yard touchdown run, and all of a sudden they're right back in it. Everybody's juiced up, and, and away you go. The Ravens are going to be a fascinating team to watch because even though Lamar sort of shut down that narrative of, oh, okay, he can't win in the playoffs. Yeah, he got a win. But if he loses this week, people are going to say, yeah, Lamar Jackson struggles in the playoff. Like, it's still kind of not dead. I think this week's game is going to be fascinating because you have the Bills, who, again, I think who should be considered uh, – you know, if not, well, obviously the Chiefs are Super Bowl favorites because they're the reigning champions. But, you know, the Bills are right up there. And so I think you have the team that's favored to win, in my mind at least, and then the team that's like the most dangerous team. So I think it's a really going to be a really good game. Uh, I, I don't know which way this one's going to go. I think you go either way. I think both of these teams um, are, have a, a – they're, they're in good standing is what I would say right now. So, um, yeah, I think Lamar, obviously, there's going to be more talk if he doesn't deliver. And, look, he has to be better as a passer. Like for as as great as he can be as a runner, and that absolutely matters. I'm not trying to discount that, but he has to, he has to he has to be better with his arm than he was against again a bad Titans defense uh, this past week, and especially you know to beat the Bills. Like he's going to need to be, and I, I think it's it's there. He can do it. It's a matter of if he'll get it done. And I like another little subplot. So you had Arthur Smith of the Titans going up against Wink Martindale of the Ravens last week. That's sort of like the two guys that are head coaching candidates. And next week it continues because you've got Wink Martindale of the Ravens up against Brian Dabo of the Bills. So I like these little coaching subplots that go along with all the games as well. Uh, my number one surprising thing stats. And I don't think it'll be a surprise that it's on this list here. But I mean, how could I not include Taylor Henneke? Not only Washington's, what do you want to say, like third string quarterback or whatever. Um, I mean, this guy was a backup quarterback in the XFL <laughs> earlier in 2020. Like, that, think how crazy that is. Now, obviously, he had some experience in the NFL before. So it's not like this is his first ever NFL action. But when you think about the context of the situation, you know, Henneke, you know, like coming in on short notice, essentially, you know, like it's not like he's been with Washington forever. You know, he has familiarity with Ron Rivera, and I'm sure that helps. But just like a crazy situation, and it's his first playoff start. And historically, stats, when you look at teams making their – or sorry, quarterbacks making their first playoff start, like it does not go well for those quarterbacks. And, you know, the Washington lost. So, so you know, the excitement here can only go so far. But at the end, like at the end of the day, this is Taylor Haneke going toe-to-toe with Tom Brady, and he kept them in the game, and he kept it respectable – I mean, it's a a one-score game in the end. They, you know, the the spread was a push, uh, eight-point spread. Um, That's pretty surprising, like, because the the Bucs easily could have blown out this Washington team, and they didn't. And I think that's absolutely a reasonable moral victory for Washington. I think this whole season has been a very positive step in the right direction for the Washington football team. 
absolutely right. And the thing with with Heineke, it wasn't like, well, he's throwing a screen pass and the guy's running, you know, 50 yards and that's how Washington's moving the ball down the field. No, no. He was the primary reason they were moving the ball at all, whether it was intermediate passing, which he was very accurate, especially on the run or a lot of his scrambles. I mean, that touchdown run he had on third down. I don't even know how he didn't get sacked. He, he comes out of there and not only does he avoid the sack, he turns it into a touchdown. He dives at the pylon. Like I was pumped up. I was totally rooting for Taylor Heineke. Yeah. How could he not? Um, I, I think again, Washington has made progress this year. I really think that it's kind of, you have to be cautious about Washington because Dan Snyder is still the owner there. So that's always going to be uh, a detriment, but I almost wonder like, as we've talked about in the past stats, like if, if having that adult in the room, having Ron Rivera there almost cancels the Dan Snyder effect out. Like it stabilizes things. It brings things to like, okay, we're not going to be this total dumpster fire. We can actually function. And now look, getting the quarterback position right is going to be a huge key for them moving forward. Because I mean, I don't know what they do. You know, Alex Smith, like I I just don't really know how they, they're really going to be contending seriously with him. Uh, Heineke, nice story, but I don't know. I don't know that he's their answer. I would be really scared stats talking about Deshaun Watson earlier. If Washington finds a way to pull that off and really they should, they should make a serious push at him. Like, like a really, really strong effort to get him because if they did, man, like Deshaun Watson with that defense and some of the pieces there, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson. I mean, that would be a scary team. By the way, congratulations, Ron Rivera with the firing of Doug Peterson. You are now the longest tenured coach in the NFC East and you were hired on new year's Eve of 2019 okay my most surprising thing coming out of wildcard weekend and look i knew that this was sort of a problem in the league but now it has grown to gargantuan levels because the most surprising thing to me coming out of wildcard weekend is how hideous hideously bad nfl head coaches are on fourth down i actually went through every single playoff game blg and counted There were 16 times that a team should have gone for it on fourth down and they didn't. And that's being conservative. I left some off the list, but we are at 16 times now. Coaches are so scared. They would rather succeed in punting the ball than fail in trying to convert a fourth down, even if punting makes it harder for them to win. Stats, it is pure cowardice. It is pathetic. I mean, Look at Doug Peterson. I know he just got fired, but when he won the Super Bowl a few years ago, why did they win the Super Bowl? In part because he was super aggressive and he always went for it on fourth down. Now, I feel like the league has caught up to that more in general. Now, clearly not enough if we're seeing the, the you know, this cowardice that we saw on Super Wildcard Weekend. Uh, the Vrabel punt uh, here stats was so disappointing because you and I have lauded uh, the Titans head coach and we've seen a lot of good things from him. A lot of smart things from him, quite frankly. But like when you see him in position to uh, go for it on fourth and two with 10 minutes remaining, just a little over 10 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, while losing by four points, he punts the ball. Like what? What are you doing? This is the same guy, by the way, who said he would cut off his you-know-what to win a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think so, buddy, because you won't even go for it on fourth and two. Like, do they do these coaches want to win, Stats, is my question. Because I look at Pete Carroll and how he performs in the playoffs seemingly year after year. And it's like, I don't honestly know if he wants to win the game. He's not coaching to win. It's so conservative. It's basically coaching not to lose. And guess what? Guess where that gets you? It gets you a loss. 
it's insane. And I actually went through, you're right, by the way, Vrabel was at the 40 yard line and he punted in that one. That is insane. The Seahawks did it five times. Look, I have a card. I'm showing you on the webcam. I wrote down every (laughs) single situation. The Seahawks did it five times where they should have gone for it. And the one time that they actually were going to go for it because their backs were against the wall. Carroll doesn't have his stuff together. Shocker. And they get a delay a game and then they don't, they can't go for it because it becomes fourth and six. And then they punt it away. It is hideously bad. These teams, and it doesn't even make logical sense. You mentioned the Vrabel one, right? That was a bad one. The saints were almost as bad, right? Because they tried a 50 yard field goal on fourth and two. They were at the bears 32 yard line. This is, it doesn't make sense to me, right? You can't go for it because you're terrified that if you don't get it, you're going to give them good field position, right? That's the thinking. Well, if you miss the field goal, which is what happened, you give them better field position than if you were to just fail going for it on fourth down because the line of scrimmage is where the holder puts the ball down. So if you're so terrified of giving them good field position, logically, you should just go for it anyway. And they didn't do it and they missed the field goal. These coaches blow these decisions every week and this is the playoffs and they're making it harder for their teams to win. Even putting the analytical element aside, which I think is kind of the disconnect here, right? Like I think that's what makes it tough for coaches to go for it because I think it's easy for us, you know, to look at here and look at the numbers and everything and say that it's a different thing to be a human being and to feel it emotionally, the weight of that decision. Um, so I want to have like a level of empathy and understanding here, but okay. So like, let's say I'll give them that I'll afford them that, but here's the problem though. If we're talking about from an emotional perspective, and you want to talk about culture here and culture building, which seems to be so important to these head coaches, like, don't you want to instill a culture in where you empower the players like you trust them? I think that was such a big factor of why I love Doug Peterson going for it as much as he did in 2017. He is saying to these players, I trust you guys. You can do this. I believe in you to do this. Make me look smart. I will trust you and I will make you look good because I'm giving you the opportunity to go for this. Like, have some faith in your players that you're paying all this money to and you're practicing all the time. And like, like if you're a good coach, you should feel like you can trust your players and, and allow them to do this. And I think that's so rewarding because if they, even if they don't get it, at least they can be like, Hey man, tr- coach trusted us. Like that means a lot that that establishes credibility. And so I think for these, these coaches to be so cowardly, I think that's another damaging effect, maybe not in the short term, but in the long run, it's like, does, does our coach even believe in us? I don't understand how the thinking goes in the greatest era for offensive football that we've ever seen. You think it's more likely that you're going to punt the ball, then stop the other team, then get the ball back, then drive down the field and try and score more points. That that is somehow more likely than just gaining two or three yards on fourth down? Like, how? In what universe does that make sense? There was a uh, play in the Titans game, right? The Titans were down four, like you mentioned, 10 minutes left. They punt the ball. Baltimore gets a field goal after that possession, but not only do they get the field goal, they take almost six minutes off the clock because the defense couldn't stop the Ravens. It went from 10 minutes left to four minutes and 23 seconds. That is a killer for you at that point. That's the, the thing about like punting is that you're trusting your defense to get a stop, right? That's right. Like you're saying, okay, our defense is going to get us the ball back by forcing a punt or maybe forcing a field goal. Well, like then why wouldn't you trust them enough when you go for it? Because like 
if you're going for it, you're saying, okay, if we don't get this, we trust our defense to get a stop and hold them to a field goal. Um, and then maybe a punt, depending where you are in the field. So like logically it's just like, where does the logic add up there? You're right. Like if the plan is for your defense to stop them either way. So yeah. why not also Go for it. give yourself a chance to extend the drive? Like it doesn't make sense. These coaches are so risk averse. They're so scared of, of being the, the focus of the criticism after the game, right? Because if you punt it and the defense doesn't stop them, well, that's not your The defense should have stopped them. But if you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, then you're the focus of the blame and it's weak sauce and they they have to stop. The coach that does that is going to have such an advantage over the other coaches until they catch up. They're scared of winning, honestly. That's what it is. Like They're, they're scared to win. Like That's the truth of it. That's going to do it for this edition of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero. You can find me on Twitter at Stats on Fire. He's Brandon Lee Gowden. You are on Twitter at? At Brandon Gowden Stats. I want to do one more thing before we close. All right. We have to make our picks. You forgot. Here's the thing. I am so demoralized. <laughs> I literally got every pick for Wild Card Weekend wrong with RJ Ochoa. Every what? one. Every, it's unbelievable. This is against the spread or straight up? This is against the spread, so that that's okay. hurt me a, a few times. But like, I mean, that, you couldn't even do that if you wanted to. I think I went two, three, and one. So didn't do amazing, but at least I got a couple right, and I pushed on one. Um, so you picked the the Bears, foolishly, ultimately. Hey, the, the Saints did everything they could to give that game away, and Mitchell Trubisky just mucked it up. I mean, they did everything they could. They missed field goals. They fumbled balls. And what happens? The Bears can't get – I mean, look at that that double reverse pass the Bears did. Beautiful play call, yep. perfect throw from Trubisky, and it goes right through Wim's hands. I mean, the Saints did everything they could to mess that game up, and the Bears wouldn't capitalize. And the Bears didn't put Nick Foles in when uh, they, they might have gotten desperate and should have given it a try. Um, didn't happen. Uh, stats – I meanwhile, I took the Bills, I believe, and they and they did win. Um, so this week, you know, it's, we're down to limited games here. I guess I can't take the bills again if we're going by the rules in the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to take the new Orleans saints stats. I hate to do it because I don't, well, honestly, I'd rather to, I'd prefer to see both of these teams lose this game. Unfortunately, that's not possible. (laughs) Um, but I think I'm going to put the jinx on the Saints. see if I can try to jinx them. Uh, there's a lot of talk stats about how, oh, you can't beat a team three times in one year. It's actually not true. Uh, I was looking at um, my co-host on BGN Radio, Jimmy Kemsky, wrote a post about his NFL playoff picks recently, and he had that. I think teams that have faced each other uh, in, three times in the past uh, given time span, there's been like 21 of these games, and the team that won the first two was like 14-7 and seven in the third game. So... Not quite true that you know the Bucks are guaranteed to win this. I think the Bucks still don't, don't believe in them, so I'm going to take the Saints, and they're my pick. That makes sense to me, but I'm still on the Saints are going to muck this up in the playoffs because they lose, and this wouldn't even be like a bad Saints loss. So this is a good Bucks team. Um, Brady didn't blow me away last week, but I think he is starting to get a more of a connection with Antonio Brown. Like Antonio Brown has just sort of been like a guy, an extra guy that's there, but I think he's kind of rounding into form a little bit. And if that's the case, that's another weapon for Brady. I'm going to disagree with you on that pick, but it's not cra- It's not as bad as my bears pick last week. Let me just say that. 
So who are you taking then? Are you gonna take? So you're not gonna take the Bucks? No, I'm not gonna you? take the Bucks. I'm gonna take the Packers over the Rams. Okay. I don't know what the Rams quarterback situation is. I know they have a great defense, but I just think Aaron Rodgers is absolutely rolling on a level that we haven't seen from him in a few years. They have an extra week to prepare. I think that Green Bay is. It's not going to be like a dominant win. It's going to be a close game because that Rams defense is really good. But I just can't see Aaron Rodgers losing this game. So I'm going Packers over the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I think a big takeaway from this weekend was just that like the Packers are, they should be so far out in front of the rest of the NFC because the rest of the NFC really isn't that scary. Like the Packers, I know they're not the perfect team. They have some issues especially relative to the AFC, but like they're clearly at the top of this thing and Rogers gives them that chance. Like they, if they don't get to the Super Bowl, it's, it's pretty big disappointment. Like they should be, they should at least be able to make it there. Yeah. Like we went nuts when Patrick Mahomes had 40, I had 50 touchdowns in a year. Well, Aaron Rodgers just had 48. Like that's only two less. So do we realize the level he's at? I think that's like the eighth most or fifth most, whatever it is, touchdowns in a single season that we've ever seen. And no one seems to be mentioning that. So that is the level he's at. If he doesn't get to the Super Bowl in this year, you're right. That is a massive, massive disappointment, much like my picks have been for most of this year. So there you go. BLG is going Saints. I will take the Packers. We remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. We really appreciate it. It really does help. So if you could just take two seconds and throw a a nice five-star rating and a nice review our way, we really would appreciate it. Enjoy the games, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. 